Hey, it's great to see you all this morning. We welcome you here in the name of Jesus Christ, the only name uh, under which we meet. Uh, I am Steve Coleman. This is my wife, Julie Coleman. We're both members of the teaching team here at New Hope Chapel. The next several weeks, we're going to be talking about God's church, an organism after his own heart. Very nice slide you may have seen for three or four seconds. <laughs> we're praying it comes back on. We put some time into that slide. But anyway, God's church, an organism after his own heart. God's church is a shorthand way at New Hope Chapel that we have of referring to a set of principles we aspire to as a group. There are four principles. I'll run over them quickly right now for you. We'll talk about the first one this week. We identify with Jesus Christ. He is our focus. We use God's Word as our guide. It is the ultimate written authority. We believe God brings people to the local church. He supplies the people and gifts that are needed for the operation of the body. We expect our leaders to trust God. They are supposed to be modeling humility, dependency on God, and service to the body. New Hope Chapel set out on this path about five or six years ago, and we've talked about these truths since. Once in a series in 2015, Justin and I uh, presented a series on God's church. And they've come up from time to time in the books that we've studied, and we've mentioned uh, the principle when it's, when it's shown up. We've not settled for a traditional church here. We made a decision back then that God has shown in His Word a particular beauty in the design of His body. We wanted to know more about that as we got hints of it and glimpses of it. And uh, it's led us to these principles. There are several of these that will be true of congregations that want to be and have God's leadership as central. Today we're going to talk about the first of these principles. That Christ is first, the focus of our life, our love, and our service. How are we going to start this morning, Julie? Well, Steve, we're going to start... (laughs) By looking at a survey um, done by the Barna Group, they did it several years ago, on why people stop attending church. And these are people who have stopped attending that they're surveying. So the first reason was that they find that the church is irrelevant, that the leaders are hypocritical, there's too much moral failure going on with them, and so it just uh, doesn't ring true for them. Number two, that God is missing in the church which is kind of scary. People go to church looking for God. That's why they're going, but they're having difficulty finding him there. The third is legitimate doubt is prohibited. They're not allowed to discuss these things and express the things that um, they need clarification on or just need to work through, and uh, they found no uh, listening ear there. Third, I'm sorry, fourth, is that they're not learning about God when they're there not learning about him. It's kind of frightening when you think that's true, if you can go to church and not learn anything about him. And then find five, they're not finding community. They're not finding a place to fit in, a place to belong. Um, so apparently, looking at these five reasons, the church seems to have lost um, its meaning for many people. 
Um, they feel the leader's hypocritical. Um, whatever reason, they can't perceive that God's active is in discernible presence on a Sunday morning. And the body is not something that they can relate to, and they're not fitting in. So, and there's no deep discussion on the deep things that they struggle with. So here's the question then that we're going to try to answer this morning. How do we avoid these problems at New Hope Chapel? What can we do that will keep things meaningful in our church? And here's the answer. The answer to the question is the first principle. We identify with Jesus Christ. He is our focus. And you want to look, dig down into that. And so to do that, we're going to find our answer in Colossians 1. But let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this morning that we can set aside some time to really look at what matters at New Hope Chapel. We ask God that you would enlighten our hearts in ways that things that maybe we've never seen or thought about before and help us, God, to take these truths into our hearts and that you might transform us with your Holy Spirit. So we just ask your help this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Colossians 1, starting in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Paul's writing here to a church that was in the town of Colossae about the false teaching that had penetrated their assembly. From the clues in the letter, we see that they were being taught that God could only be known by one's mystical experiences, like visions and trances, and in practicing a certain self-denial, which kind of at its, uh, at its ultimate was inflicting pain on oneself and other destructive practices. This is Paul's answer to that claim. All the fullness of God is embodied in Jesus, so that those united with him and in him by faith have direct access to God. There is no need for the kind of miserable ordeal the Colossian Christians were being taught. So let's dig into these verses a little bit and see more of what Paul was exactly teaching about Jesus Christ. Well, the first thing that we found was that Paul was talking about Christ's relationship with creation. He's the firstborn of creation, for by him all things were created, um, both in the heavens and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things have been created 
through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So you see two roles right here in what Paul is talking about when he's talking about Christ with his, in his relationship with creation. Number one, he was the source. He was the originator, uh, the creator of everything in our world, seen and unseen. All things were created by him. And the second thing that we see about Christ is that he is now the sustainer of that creation. Through him, all things hold together still. That's my little add-on. What has been brought into being through him is maintained by him. Now, the next verse says the exact same thing about Jesus, except this time he's talking about Jesus and his relationship to the church. He says he is the head of the body, the church. Jesus was, again, the initiator, originator, and the source, this time for the head. Now, head might be a little confusing to us in the English-speaking world in the 21st century because it meant a little something different, a lot different, than what we take head to mean. When we think about head, we think about the boss. That is not what this, meant, this word meant in first century uh, for Paul and, his, uh, and the fellow writers of the New Testament. It was not a term used for authority. Head meant the source the supplier, like we use the word of headwaters in a river. So head was not used for authority until the second century, long after the writings of the New Testament had been finished. So if you study Paul's writings, you're going to find that he's consistent with his use of the word, um, and he uses head in 1 Corinthians and Ephesians to talk about Jesus as the source and supplier as well. So he created the church, but he's still sustaining it with the goal of presenting us before him holy, blameless, and beyond reproach, so he continues to work in us to bring his salvific work that he started to completion. So here's what Paul's saying. Christ is the head, the source of the church, and he sustains the church in our standing with God in order to someday present us holy and blameless um, before him. So in both creation and the church, the creator and the sustainer is Jesus. And there's something that else that creation and the church have in common, and that's life. He breathed life into man, and man became a living soul. And in his resurrection, as the firstborn of the dead, he provided eternal life to those who would believe. Jesus is everything to this church. A church without Jesus is like wooden doctrine, and dead activities, all very much devoid of meaning, devoid of life. We also caused, uh, saw a rep certain repetition by Paul, and you probably heard it as well in our passage. All creation, all things, visible, invisible, all things created through him and for him, before all things, where all things hold together. He reconciled all things to himself, things on earth or in heaven. It's like uh, being hit with a sledgehammer, but I think we get Paul's nuance here. All things, including us, the church. He's the source. He's the originator of all things. He gave life to all things, both in creation and in the church, and at present, he is sustaining all things until the end of time. And by the way, that word that we saw, firstborn, does not mean that Christ was created. You probably know that. It's speaking about his importance that he was uh, before, in the first place, before all things. 
He's above all creation, and as his father's firstborn, he's heir to it by him and for him. So, if that's the reality, if Christ is the source and sustainer of our church, more important than anything else, either in heaven or on earth, then you'd better believe it's important that we put him as our center and our focus. Our number one priority should be on Jesus Christ. But even so, as much as it makes sense looking at the scripture, in our heads, it's counterintuitive. Is it counterintuitive? Because <laughs> we say that all the time. Jesus, yeah, he's the head. He's the, he's the most important one. It really does cut, though, against what we tend to think of some of our ideas if we really take a look at it. Let me suggest to you two, two ways that you might see this and, and, and maybe get a glimpse of how easy it is for us to overlook the real challenge of a verse like this. First, as individuals, there's a temptation to think we've achieved something with our hard work. And it is true in many spheres of life. That's how you get ahead at work. That's how you know you've done a good job as a husband or father. I really did that this time. Bang, did it. We may have been willing tools. uh, In many spheres of life, that's true, but not spiritually. That's where the difference comes in. It's upside down here. We may have been willing tools in God's hands. We may have done the things he wanted us to do. But any spiritual gain or fruit, as the Bible calls it in Galatians, is work that God has done. He lets us partner in his work, but he doesn't need us. Because the world values achievement, we can be tempted to think that what we have done for the Lord is something great. makes me feel significant, a primary emotional need we have. It can be hard in those moments to remember we're just the servants of God. He's the source. Have you ever tried to follow a pattern of one of the spiritual disciplines like fasting, meditation, prayer, living simply, silence? Those who do those activities talk about how wonderful those tools are in helping them get closer to God. And God certainly honors the efforts of people seeking Him. But whenever I've tried them, I've found an overwhelming temptation to feel just a little extra spiritual. I just finished my three-day fast. I have fasted on the first three days of every month for the last five years. Well, I can beat that. I finished a seven-day fast in two hours and 45 minutes. (laughs) See that? Don't Don't you you wish wish you were were us? You know, over the years, I dabbled in the spiritual disciplines from time to time, and I've learned that any activity with a spiritual goal can be a tool God uses to do his work. However, for us to take pride in that tool is to draw our attention and maybe other people's attention away from Christ. A kind of second way that you can see this, and that it's kind of an upside-down con concept is churches. They can be distracted by their tools. The local church is a group of believers who focus on Jesus alone as their source and sustainer. But churches have leaders 
and programs to help them organize their efforts. For instance, we have a treasurer to keep track of the money. We have a Sunday school ministry team leader to provide the best learning experience for our children. And we even have a karate sensei. We also have programs like our Bible study small groups, our fellowship luncheons, and this 11 o'clock service. But all of these are only means to an end, to promote worshiping, loving, and serving God. The problem is, just like the spiritual disciplines, if we start focusing on these, they cease being tools and instead start stealing the focus away from Christ. We could be the best organized church in town with every program necessary, and we've worked those programs perfectly. And if, in all that, we start looking at programs and worrying about the programs and take any of our emphasis away from Christ, we've really blown it. One example. You probably know of churches, some churches, where the personality and role of the pastor draws the spotlight. Lots and lots of churches have great pastors, and they keep that focus on Christ. The reflection is back to Christ always. But there are some where you can see that this thinking of achievement kind of creeps in. You know, I, when I went off to college, I did a pretty good job of doing all the things. I bought all the books for the classes. I went to class, sat in the back, <laughs> went to the library, joined groups and activities. But then I almost academic, was academically dismissed after two years. I might have been doing all the right things, but I didn't learn enough to get a passing grade. Problem is, the purpose of a school is to learn. All those other things were only tools to that end. In the same way, we never want to lose sight of the church's primary need to keep Christ at the center of everything. And we have to work deliberately at doing that to make sure things don't creep in on us. So the question now is, as a body... How are we holding to this principle at New Hope Chapel? Well, let me suggest one way. Church government at New Hope Chapel rests with the body. Our government was set long ago before we ever started applying these principles, but it is a great reflection of our body's responsibility before God to make decisions that give direction to who we are and what we do. Each church servant, excuse me, steward, is given a vote. No one person has more say than another. Together we seek his will. And there's no intermediary, no person or group interpreting God's will for you. Each of us responds to the Holy Spirit individually and participates in that process of guiding the church. And two other examples. Uh, you'll notice that we talk more about Jesus here than about New Hope Chapel. I'm certainly not saying that we're unique among churches in doing that. Many churches do a great job talking about Jesus as well. But by way of contrast, let me tell you about one church that I was a part of for about three years. When people would give their testimonies, they kept saying things like, and now I'm going to make up a church name. When I came to Grace and Mercy Church, I learned that 
And when my life turned around after coming to Grace and Mercy Church, and because of Grace and Mercy Church, I changed my attitude toward people in this way. Just about every testimony seemed to be centered on the church. Now, they were probably told to answer the question, how has Grace and Mercy Church changed my life? And these are all valid statements in the right context. But what was striking to me as I sat and listened was that these, the testimony after testimony, God hardly seemed to be mentioned. I kept thinking, who cares about the church? What's God <laughs> doing in your life? You're not going to hear a testimony in this place that focuses on New Hope Chapel. We're all about what Christ is doing and has done in our lives. A third example, we're on a shared journey. We're on a shared journey to maturity. Our desires for everyone to reach that maturity. Paul states the goal in Ephesians like this, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're never going to get there. And so we do not have a goal here at New Hope Chapel of developing good parishioners. We're not going to stop at making people happy Christians. We're on a shared journey to focus on Christ, to keep exploring the Bible, developing a deep and close relationship with God, struggling with the issues, asking the questions, Mm -hmm. and answering those questions, and even sharing our doubts. In a word, maturity. And finally, we come to the so what. How can we carry out keeping Christ as our sole uh, source and sustainer as individuals? Just you and God. Well, if we're committed to following Jesus, uh, we're committed to identifying with him. It really is all about living in imitation of him. So to wrap up, we're going to look at three quotes from Jesus that can help us envision what imitation of him looks like. The first is from Mark 2. And it's uh, when Jesus was at the home of Levi having dinner, and the Pharisees challenged him and said this, Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. There was no one which Jesus considered beneath him in his ministry. He treated every person that approached him as important. People who were considered to be at the bottom of the totem pole of society, he loved, he healed, and he served. The disrespected, the lowly, the failures. He even made children's vulnerability and simple faith the standard for his disciples. No one was insignificant with Jesus. Every person mattered. So, if we're identifying with Jesus, there will be no insignificant people for us either. Participation in his body is not about church attendance and having responsibilities, because the church is people. So make it your business to get to know every single person in our church, because every single one matters. We're a family. We're meant to operate as one single organism, as a body of Christ. We're given spiritual gifts not to build ourselves up for our own benefit, but in order that we might build each other up. But you can't build up someone you don't know. So we need to take time and effort necessary to get to know each other. 
and keep moving deeper and deeper in our relationships. So here's a couple of ideas. Take advantage of all the opportunities that we have a fellowship um, already planned for us. Potluck luncheons on Sunday, New Hope Chapel hangouts, small groups that happen during the week. They're all great opportunities to interact with people that you don't know well and to get to know them better. And the other really important thing is ask questions. Be a heat-seeking missile. What are their interests? What are their passions? What's their story? How did they come to know Jesus? How do they see him in their lives right now? If you walk away from a conversation not knowing more about them after your conversations, but have only talked their ear off, you're not moving in a positive direction, so be mindful of that. Second thing that Jesus said um, in Matthew, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So Jesus, with that statement, showed what he wanted for his followers. He also demonstrated it when he washed their feet before the crucifixion. He didn't act, interact with people based on their status or what they could do for him. He came to serve, to selflessly give, to meet their needs. So how do we identify with him on this? Well, the first thing is up here. We have to start viewing yourself as a servant on equal ground with every other person. You know, Paul talks about that in Romans 2 and verse 4. He cautions them to understand that we're all in the same boat. Sinners in desperate need of a Savior. Anything we are or have comes from him, our source. Another tip is, remember Tom Hanks in the League of Their Own yelling, there's no crying in baseball. <laughs> well, for us in the church, it should be something similar. There's no pride in the body of Christ. Nothing. No one is beneath us. We're all on equal ground. So, third, that means we don't treat some people better than others. We're not impressed by titles or responsibilities. We don't serve for status or recognition. We do it because what our Savior did, and we are identifying with him. And last, Jesus said this, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now we've talked about Jesus being the source of the body. He created it with his shed blood and resurrection. We've talked about Jesus and his sustaining power. And as he works to bring everyone to completion in Christ, someday presenting him to himself the church in all her glory. He is the sustainer, and he's the provider of all we need. So in closing, I have a little illustration here for you. So we're called to be lights of the world. And so that means... Shoot. What is what? Plug the light in, please. Okay, now it's working. Because in order to be light, you have to have a source of power. We have to stay plugged in, plugged into the vine. We need to stay connected to our power source. That word abide, abide in me, means to dwell in, to stay with to understand that we may be inadequate, but he is not. 
and to acknowledge our dependency on the sustainer of our souls. So remember that survey way back when? It's this lamp in your way. <laughs> what if we clearly identified ourselves with Jesus as individuals and as a body? Everything we did would come from a place of meaning. We would have leaders that look to Christ as our creator and sustainer and not claim any authority or identity outside of him. We would be a body of servants with no insignificant people and that each one, regardless of position or status, would be as necessary as the rest. God would have no trouble revealing himself through our worship, our teaching, and our discussions because we would be a body that runs deep. So in short... We would be an organism after God's own heart, loving the things he loves, keeping Jesus as our center, just as God intends us to be. So go through your days this week, conscious of his presence, communicate with him regularly, dig into his word and find wisdom and truth, cling to the vine, and cultivate the relationship. And in it, you will find the sustenance that you need to serve him in the body. It's always, always about him in the center, the source and sustainer of all things. I love you with all of our hearts. We want to honor your name. But we know that if not all the time, at least there's some times that we are weak and we do not recognize and enjoy the source and supply that you give. And we turn and think about or look to or use our own resources, our own efforts. We pray that uh, in this church and as we leave, as we talk to people, that we would encourage them with your sufficiency. Lord, give us the opportunities to share the struggles that we have or the doubts or questions that we have with others in the body so that we can um, be encouraged to uh, share the journey and keep looking for those answers from you. We're grateful for this time together. In your name, amen.